0: Welcome to Monday
1: Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate.
0: Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest all the way from Perth, Australia, Rail Breaker. He, after, after more than 30 years as a serial entrepreneur in everything from education, To finance to fitness, Rael has now made it his mission to share his knowledge and expertise with others. From being 6,000 feet underground in a mine, to starting an education business, to spending years working in venture capital, he has seen it all. His diverse work history combined with unique global research interviews with companies in more than 25 countries make him the perfect fit to work with leaders and managers on growing and achieving their excellence. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Lance. Before we kind of get into exactly what you do, I like to ask everybody, uh, because this is a show dedicated to entrepreneurs and small business owners um, and, and medium business owners, but uh, tell us how you got here. Did you grow up in a family of entrepreneurs? I love this sort of allusion to the story about being in this mine. What, what led you here? Um, I, I guess I, my father
1: had ambitions of being an entrepreneur, but just didn't, he's, he died 20 odd years ago now. He didn't manage money very well, but I grew up in a very lower middle-class household. I started my first business at the age of 14. So I, I just, I, I for some reason, I just knew that I was going to be in business for myself. Um, it, it, when I finally worked on the mines and I worked in an organization of 50,000 people, I was incredibly frustrated by the hierarchy, by the, but by, by, by having to sit in your little box and only worry about your little box. And I guess that almost cemented for me the fact that
0: I had to be my own boss. Oh, okay, got it. Uh, yeah, well, I think we all learn from our parents in different ways. And it seems like you start you, 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 one of the best things they can do is sort of fail in certain ways in front of your eyes. So thanks for sharing that. Um, one of the things you'd like to talk about are whether entrepreneurs are born or made. I would love for you to, love for you to expand on that. I definitely think
1: entrepreneurs are born. I mean, I think there's an inherent risk profile with being an entrepreneur. I mean, there was a, there's a classic cartoon series, um, Dilbert, the, you know, well-known <laughs> famous cartoon series. And, uh, and one of the characters says he thinks he wants to step out into the world of entrepreneurship and, you know, live in the fast lane. And and Dilbert says, you know, you won't get your salary this month. He says, Oh, maybe I'll change my mind. And, and I think, I I think that's the classic. I think the the entrepreneurs of today, it's become a big buzzword, but I still think there's something in your heart that needs to tell you and and believe in yourself. I mean, there's so many people I see, yeah, I wanna start my own business, but I don't really believe in myself. This imposter syndrome kicks in. So I honestly think it is, you know, point one, point something percent of, of, of the population that truly can be entrepreneurial. They don't have to be Richard Branson entrepreneurial. You know, to me, in my mind, he is the, the the ultimate entrepreneur. But but I don't think you have to be at that level. But I just think you have to have a level of trust in yourself. And I think that's what's missing in most people. So so definitely they are born, not made, because you have to actually have that trust in yourself
0: and your trust in your own ability. Sure. Yeah. Uh, is that your is that your actual final or favorite? Is he, would he be your favorite entrepreneur, or where would you put Elon on the on the list with that?
1: Um, I mean, everyone, Elon Musk. I mean, Elon Musk is 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 an amazing visionary, um, and and has created amazing companies. Um, I think Elon has got himself distanced, whereas Richard Branson is still very much. I can't say hands on, but very much more visible in his organization, if I was to compare those two billionaires. Um, And I I think that that's what probably makes, and and also my book is called Dive In, and it says basically that you just have to dive in and adjust your course while you're moving. Um, Elon is so brilliant that I think he thinks through things a lot more than Richard Branson, if that makes kind of sense, that Richard Branson's book, Screw It, Just Do It, you you know? that that idea—it's it, echoed in the back of my book—that says, you know, just dive in and adjust your course while you're moving. So, so yeah, I mean, I, as much as I technologically, I love the stuff that Elon Musk is doing. I think on the on the ground level, I think Branson has done
0: some amazing things. Yeah, I I I, I totally respect that opinion, and I I'm glad you actually kind of made the difference. Uh, you know, talked about the differences between the two. Um, do you think society right now is, has a negative or a positive outlook? Uh, well, is it, does, is there a positive or a negative uh, a connotation associated with the word entrepreneur or entrepreneurs? Um, or do you think it's, that's not the case? I mean, the media tells us one thing, but maybe on the ground, it's much different. No, I, I think I, in Australia, I think Australia, <coughs> the culture of
1: Australia is give it a go. You know, is good on your mate. I'm going to sit there and earn my salary and go and buy my beers in the afternoon and have six beers before I go to sleep. That's the, 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 the average, what they call Akka Aussie. Mm -hmm. But that same person will be patting you on the back and saying, good on you, mate, go for it. And so, so culturally, although when I arrived here 20 years ago, we had a very big tall poppy syndrome where, you know, tall poppies got cut down very quickly. That 20 years has changed it's now good on you, mate, go for it. You know, you know forge your own path. Um, I think worldwide, I don't think there's necessarily a, 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 a problem with entrepreneurs. I mean, I think, I think the world needs entrepreneurs. I think the world has shifted from the corporate to the, to, to the gig economy. I mean, you know, so how far do you define entrepreneur as mm. a graphic artist who works from home You know, my daughter lives in Melbourne and she's a copywriter and she's a freelance copywriter. She's on Upwork and all the other websites and picks up contracting work and has some full-time work. You know, is she an entrepreneur? Yeah. In in the truest sense, she's self-employed and all those things, but she doesn't really probably fit the classic entrepreneur mold. Whereas, you know, she definitely is in that space and I'm seeing more and more people going that way. With um, you know the gig economy, and I think that's that's probably what's muddied the water of what is the true entrepreneur. Uh, you know, the entrepreneur, as we spoke about, Branson and Musk, they really had great ideas that came to the came to fruition, great innovative ideas. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas the gig economy, they're still entrepreneurial, they're still their own boss, they, but they're not really coming up with great innovative ideas. And so, you know, do you define entrepreneurs as those with great,
0: innovative, groundbreaking ideas or just those who are self-employed and happy being self-employed? Yeah. Maybe the word is uh, some visionary, you know, for somebody like Elon Musk versus, versus entrepreneur. I'm sure he fits both of those categories, but mm-hmm. maybe sort of the bread and butter, like you talked about, solo entrepreneur is truly an entrepreneur. I mean, they might not be doing visionary things, but clearly they're entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, Talk a little bit about excellence why it's critical you know you talk about trying to help people achieve excellence so so i guess we can never be perfect and so
1: perfection is this is this unachievable goal so what what can we be and we can be excellent and what is excellent in my definition my, my in my humble definition it is that it is showing up as the best version of yourself every day and so that's what it's about so so there's one of my clients um, was going through a bit of a bad patch a bit of black you know you know a bit, bit of blackness in his life you know and so what I did is I would go out for my exercise in the morning before my coffee or after my coffee depending on which way you look at it um, and I would text him a picture of the sunrise every day mm. and say because you're not you know you're feeling down and you you're depressed all I want you to do is get up and see the sun. I don't want you to do anything else, but I to I started that sort of, you know, pushing him along a little bit just to get him moving and motivated. And so, so, so you don't have to, you know, you don't have to do the big things. You can just do the, the, the little things out there that get people going and motivated and, and change the way they are and get them on that journey to excellence. So all I was trying to do was get him into a place where he felt slightly better. Because if he felt slightly better, then he showed up as a better version of himself today
0: than he did yesterday. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it starts hour by hour, day by day, and just kind of grows from there. Totally agree. Um, Before we started the podcast, one of the things you talked about was speaking. So it sounds like it's changed your life. Um, were you a public speaker previously? I mean, did, or did you just kind of jump into it? Like, did you have any stage fright and then how how do you, how have you seen it change other people's lives? So, you know, so going back to
1: the eighties, my my late father and I, and I have to thank him for that. When I was 14, in fact, in the late seventies, he took me to Toastmasters. He was a Toastmaster and a very good public speaker, not a paid professional speaker, but a public speaker and took me to Toastmasters from the age of 14. And at age 20, I won the district championships for the country of South Africa. And I wasn't allowed to compete internationally because I was a white male in an apartheid state. Mm. And so that kind of killed my Toastmasters career by the age of 21. Um, so, so, but I've always enjoyed being on, being in front of people and speaking. I've always, and the skill I learned through Toastmasters was invaluable. Fast forwarding a few years, when I started my financial services business in 2001, um, by 2003, I was approached to do some talks to potential clients on stage about how to um, buy property, how to build a mortgage, how to build a, a retirement portfolio, and how to retire on their properties. And I developed a skill on stage that I had obviously started when I was a Toastmaster, to be able to take really complex bank stuff and if you think about the average mortgage broker because that was our business they're ex-bankers i'm not but thankfully but um they will talk in in riddles in in complex terms to try and make themselves sound more important and i went the other way i started talking to people about houses and mortgages and investments in simple simple terms talking about their journey of investing And I've sold over a billion dollars of mortgages from stage of the $3 billion that my mortgage business has sold over a billion has been from me on stage talking about it. And then clients coming to see me straight afterwards, making appointments and then going through the process of helping them buy investment properties or refinance their home. So I fell into it. If you want to call it that, I used the natural skill that my father had given me all those years ago to build a business. Then in 2013, I ended up, while training for a marathon, having two cardiac stents. I thankfully dodged a bullet. I didn't uh, have a heart attack. I just used to get incredible neck pain while running. And Mm. I finished a season of triathlon. I thought I was invincible. I was bulletproof. And they discovered two serious blockages, a 95 and a 75% blockage. Um, And that changed my approach because I said, I've got the skill to be on stage. How do I now apply my 30 years of entrepreneurship to that? And I merged that and I became from a public speaker, a professional speaker. So I, I actually went down the road of being paid to be on stage and to run small group facilitations. But I, I changed from being a pro- public speaker to professional speaker. And in 2020, I was awarded the CSP,
0: the Certified Speaking Professional, which there are only about 1,500 in the world. What advice would you give somebody who's listening to this who is still terrified of public speaking? Uh, how do they get into it? You know, maybe some tips on combing their nerves and then uh, how you think it could, it could help them. I mean, clearly the, how you just, it's obvious to me how it helped you, but I'm curious about your take on if you're speaking to the uh, audience. So, so I think the ability to speak and the ability to stand up at a
1: corporate event uh, um, even in your own organization and present to peers or to present to management is an incredibly valuable skill now um, a lot of people have that imposter syndrome everybody I believe has the ability to speak they just have to get out of their own way sometimes <laughs> okay mm-hmm. and and what I mean by that is so, so yes you know everybody's nervous in fact if you i get adrenaline i don't necessarily comp, you know, compartmentalize it as nerves but if i've got an audience of 500 people i will feel this adrenaline rush before i go on stage which you know is the way i control my nerves it gives me this heightened sense of of awareness of my audience and so from the average person who's going oh my god i have to present to the board next week on the budget or whatever the thing may be i think where people go wrong is when you're asked to do that, you are the expert in the room. And as long as you start seeing yourself as the expert, it gets you out of your own way, gets your demons out the way. So so I say to people, practice talking one-on-one, then one-on-two, then one-on-three, because the it's the same principle as speed reading, very, very briefly. If your eyes read the word cat or read the word catastrophe, It's the same movement of your eye. And so when you're speaking, if you're talking to a group of three people or a group of 30 or 300, the principle's exactly the same. I mean, you see a lot of people who become the caged tiger. You know, they stand on the stage and they move and they move and they move because they don't know what to do with themselves.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: And Mm -hmm. I used to do that a lot until it was pointed out to me by one of my speaking coaches. So even as a professional speaker, I've been for speaker coaching. I've had professional speakers who've been doing it a lot longer than me come and sit in on my talks and make notes and critique me. And it's that's not pretty. I mean, it's real harsh yeah. you know, yeah. down the wire stuff. Um, I mean, I think organizations such as Toastmasters or Rostrum, which are non-threatening environments, provide an incredible source of 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 motivation for people who feel they are too scared to speak because you're only speaking for seven minutes at most Toastmasters or Rostrum um, and you're guided through the process. So your first speech in Toastmasters, and again, I'm going back 30 odd years because that was when I did mine or 35 years now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: was tell us about yourself. Like talk about the, the the subject you are the expert on, which is yourself. Right. And so, so I think those organizations, for the average person out there who doesn't want to be making a living out of speaking on stage, but wants to be able to speak and enunciate things clearer in an audience setting, I think those organizations are fantastic. And, I, and then there are those, and I have lots of those friends around the world now who are speaker coaches. And what do they do? They're not there training professional speakers. They're taking the average corporate middle manager who maybe wants to make an impression and get to the C-suite and making them better. And that's a one-on-one process. That's a, you know, you. I speak with my hands. My, my speaking buddies always tell me, I'm telling fishing stories because I <laughs> speak. Yeah. Okay. And, and for those who are listening to the podcast and not seeing the video, um, I normally hold my hands about shoulder width apart in front of my face.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but my buddies always tell me that that's my fishing story. Okay. And it's one of the things I do. It's one of my signatures. Every photograph of me has that in when I'm on stage. And so it's about that. So, so there are amazing speaker coaches out there. Uh, you know, a great friend of mine here in Perth. I'm not going to, you know, he, he actually stuttered his whole life. Oh my goodness. And learned how to control his stutter. And now he's one of the most highly paid speaking coaches doesn't train any professional speakers only trains he trains people for their wedding speech okay that's our whole niche market that he's created where he charges people to help them to perfect their wedding speech you know um you know and so that's a lot of what he does at their weddings and corporates okay and so that would be the advice is if somebody truly wants to develop, start with a Toastmaster, start with a Rostum. And if you really feel you need it, pay for, pay the thousand or two thousand dollars for one-on-one coaching. But not if you go to Toastmasters, it's broad. Whereas if you have a specific presentation to do or a specific wedding speech, go for coaching because that coaching then becomes broad, but it's very
0: specific to that topic. Sorry, that was a long explanation, but- That's okay. That's okay. You're, you're a trained speaker. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, excellent advice. Uh, you, you, you've you interviewed a lot of done a lot of research with other businesses and companies. I would love to hear um, your best story about a failed business um, or, or failing business that you've sort of helped or learned from. You don't need to name names, maybe even be yours. If, if you have a story, show it, share with us. Well, I mean,
1: yeah, so I've actually had
0: some, some
1: disasters. Um, and it was interesting how the disaster panned out. So I, a bit of the history, I came to Australia in 99. The advice I was given was don't go back into your own business. Work for somebody for a year or two. And I did that. And so um, whilst working at the venture capital firm, um, I, I listed the company on the Australian Stock Exchange. It was having a great time. But really that itch to be my own boss was, was, was starting to bite again. So I found a, a friend of mine found an opportunity to import uh, CD covers. Now, it sounds weird. Why would you import CD covers? It was a whole filing and storage system for CDs and DVDs. It was a very innovative product. And at the time that was the biggest medium. There were no thumb drives, there were no external hard drives. So that was the way we backed up everything onto CDs. And it was a whole filing and storage system. And I went, my partner and I spent $50,000, brought a container load of the stuff into Australia. We sold it for $4,000 later on, you know, five years later after losing money. Mm. The lesson I learned there was that A, you couldn't be a single product retailer into the major chains you need to have multiple products but more importantly i learned something about myself i learned that my entire entrepreneurial career had been around selling services not products and that i i could really put my heart and soul into the service that i'm offering somebody whereas yes i i I thought the product was fantastic but i wasn't a product salesman and so That was my biggest lesson that I learned out of that besides losing um, $50,000 was about defining really
0: where my niche was, that what I needed to do was sell services. That was wonderful. Um, Let's do the opposite. Uh, Maybe you could tell us about the best success story you've heard in business or researched or been involved with.
1: So, I mean, so in my research, so what my research was about was about culture because my next book Um, is is on culture and I've developed my own proprietary tool to actually measure culture in organizations. Mm. Uh, And it's called NFD, non-financial direction. But um, I went out and researched, I spoke to so far 86 companies around the world, 25 different countries. And um, there were some amazing sort of stories. And one of them was a company I consulted to in South Africa. And they had as a purpose statement in the business. And and what did I come up with my research? That values and purpose, not vision and mission statements, values and purpose what really defined the culture, the the, the companies with a perfect culture. And so um, in in that context, this company had a three-word purpose statement. It said practical genius delivered. And I, and, I, and I love that. And I've quoted that on stage many times since then. And I turned around to the chief executive. And again, they were my um, consulting clients. And I went to do their annual breakfast in South Africa for the staff. And I said to the chief executive, that's an amazing purpose. I said, because what I can see is that every single person in the organization buys into it. Can you imagine everybody from the cleaner says, wow, I'm part of practical genius delivered. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's a great explanation, but it's not really what I meant, which is quite embarrassing. But anyway, um, but where he came up with that idea was quite clever. He said there were too many people in the engineering space with solutions that were impractical, Never de- and never delivered on time, although they might have been technically quite clever. And so he wanted to have practical solutions, practical genius delivered on time, and that's become the mantra of his business. Now as one hundred and eighty staff um, based out of South Africa, and uh, or outsources a little bit, but mostly in South Africa um, as a software business developing their own IP. But but for me that embodied. There's a quick story is um, Kennedy went to NASA in in the early 60s and uh, he saw a cleaner cleaning vigorously. It's a famous story. And he said to the cleaner, why are you cleaning so much? And he said, because I'm helping to put a man on the moon. And that embodied exactly what this guy had done in his company, Mm. where every single person bought into the purpose.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, well, we're we're coming up on the half hour here, and and before I ask the last couple questions, I know you mentioned your book. Tell us about a little bit about your book. Uh, it, was, it was called Dive In. Is that correct?
1: Called Dive In: Lessons Learned Since Business School, and and the, the title was very it was quite specific. It is the fact that the business school was not a grounding or a training ground as an entrepreneur, and I talk about it in the book. But the but going to B school. Taught me a lot of, about a lot of different things. Sorry, a little bit about a lot of different things that has helped me on my entrepreneurial journey. It didn't teach me how to be an entrepreneur, and so hmm. the book is about the lessons I've learned in business since that grounding at business school in 1988.
0: That, that and it was 30 years. So I published the book 30 years after leaving business school. Why do you think business school, so not to totally crap on them, but I mean, we, over in the States anyway, a lot of, uh, a lot of business owners like myself, we didn't go to business school. Um, and then, so you have this sort of idea that, well, business school doesn't teach you anything as far as business. You, you find, you learn business sort of on the fly. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way, maybe you don't, but I would love your take on that. Like, do you, do you think there's some truth to that? Um, there is, um, I think you do learn it on the fly so
1: what did i came out of an engineering background i was doing a master's in engineering and an mba at the same time i'm a little bit mad at the t- uh, mad but okay i went to business school because i knew nothing about economics i knew mm-hmm. nothing about um you know human resources i didn't know how to manage people so so did did the MBA teach me? It taught me the basics of human resources. It taught me the basics of economics. It actually gave me a little bit more fundamental understanding of accounting, um, not because I wanted to be an accountant, but so that I could read you know, financials. Um, so, so I think if you take the business school education in that light, that it's going to teach you, you're coming into B-School with generally a specialized undergraduate degree a commerce degree a law degree like in my case an engineering degree i had four doctors on my mba you know it came out of a medical background what it did is it just gave us little bits of information about a lot of different things so does it make you a better entrepreneur no i don't think so i think you can learn it on the ground but it just gave me a bit more understanding and that was what I treated it as. I didn't treat it as the
0: gold standard. Sure. I treated yeah. it as just part of my education. Yeah, I like that. It, yeah, exactly. It, it can certainly, both things can live together in harmony for sure. Well, um, one last thing i like to ask everybody is uh, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time to when you first started uh, your speaking and, and business careers that exist today, what is one piece of advice you give yourself?
1: Um, probably to even believe in myself a lot more. Like, actually, you know, to, 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 a, and the nagging doubts are there because they make you double think things. But I mm-hmm. think I, I really and truly would say, you know, probably th- there's a line in the big opening of my book, and it's probably the line I would repeat to myself now, which is that over the course of my career, I have mistaken confidence over confidence. Uh, Overconfidence and arrogance and often mix the three of them up. And I would I would drop the arrogance and go for the confidence over everything. Because I think that's what
0: makes people successful is confidence and belief in themselves. Does it ever bug you when people when other when the other people confuse the two? Because I get that a lot. They say you're being arrogant. And I'm like, no, I'm just very confident as a person. Do you ever get that? I do. And and I I guess yeah. I've over
1: time and age, I've learned to temper it a little bit. And I think in my own, uh, you know, in my own life, because you stand on stage and you talk about in my experience, it's a different story. Mm. But I think the difference is that the ability to ask, to to understand people and ask them about their views, I think that's what's made me more mellow, less arrogant. Um, Instead of saying, you know, you should have done it like this you know, changing the wording, which comes out as arrogant, because you seem to know everything or I seem to know, as opposed to have you thought about or mm-hmm. you know, softening the terms. And that just changed
0: my mindset in that respect. Yeah, yeah, I like that language is so important. Um, this has been wonderful. Um, if people like what they have heard from you today, they want to get get in touch with you find follow you and obviously get your book, where, where can they go? So,
1: railbricker.com, rail, and, and email me at rail at railbricker.com. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn, less so on, on other social media, but very much LinkedIn is my primary connection mechanism. Um, your listeners can actually download a free copy of the book. Oh, wonderful. It is. It is. Um, if they go to slash free book they can actually download a PDF version of the book. I'd love them to go to Amazon and buy it. But, uh, you know, for for your listeners, they're welcome to
0: download a free copy of that site. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Uh, It was a pleasure having you on today. Um, And stay cool down there in, in Australia. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Lance.